time to diminish your faith. Now is the time, as Pastor John said, to move forward, to move forward. And so um, today we're going to wrap up a series that we started, Lessons from the Prodigal. It was a three-part series. Uh, the first one, we looked at it through the lens of the father. And then last week, we looked at it through the lens of the prodigal son. And today we will look at it through the lens of the older brother. And so my text comes from chapter uh, from Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 31. And it says, Now his elder son was in the fields, and he's, as he came and drew nigh into the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. He asked him. And he answered to his father and said, Lo, there are many years do I serve thee that I transgressed at any time thy commandment. And yet thou gavest me a kid, which is a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured the living with harlots, and thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. So this morning, for just a few moments, uh, we're going to learn lessons from the prodigal. Uh, Lord, I'm asking that as we navigate through your word, that you would reveal something fresh to us, that we would uh, connect with your word. And God, I don't want to just check a box to say we heard a message from you and, and go home to what has, uh, is planned for the rest of this day. But God, I, I really want to hear something from you. I want to be challenged. I want to walk out a better man than uh, I was when I came through those doors. And so, Lord, I'm asking that your anointing would cover me, that the ears would be open, that we would respond to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I will give you a little bit of context as to kind of the backdrop of what is happening here with the son and the inheritance. As um, if you were not able to be with us last week or even the week before, uh, go ahead and get on our website, firstchurchsterlingheights.com. You can uh, upload those podcasts. You can um, dig in with us as to what happened. But when you are looking at the Jewish uh, customary at that time for when a uh, when a father would give of his inheritance, it was always to be split that the eldest son would have a double portion and then that the rest of the children would split what was, what was left. And we know that the scripture tells us there were only two boys here. So we know that the oldest, he received two-thirds and the youngest received a third. Uh, but I, I want you to realize when you're looking at giving up an inheritance, it wasn't that dad was just cutting a check, that he was just taking care of them financially. In order to do that, it was literally everything that you owned was divided up. So the father had to sell property, had to liquidate assets. He had to uh, put together a good package for his son, and he was able to give his youngest a third of everything in his estate. And we know that his son um, had left, and the oldest had stayed behind. Um, but the oldest one that stayed behind had a terrible attitude towards his father. Was, he was upset with him. And uh, while his brother is out in riotous living, his brother remained at home. But you can see the relationship between the oldest son and the dad was strained. As we just read in scripture that when his dad came out and asked him and said, Hey, uh, what's your problem? Why aren't you coming into the feast? 
His son said, man, I have done everything. I have worked for you. I have served you. Um, I have followed your commandments. And uh, you never even gave me a goat to have a barbecue with with my friends. Um, So I'm frustrated. And so here we realize that the relationship between father and son was not a healthy relationship. I want to warn you, be careful that your relationship with your heavenly father remains a healthy one. Make sure that you're not just coming through these doors to check a box. Make sure that you are just not in the house because you are here just to serve and that you're here to obey the commandments because somewhere along the road in your relationship with him, you can stop falling in love with him and this just becomes a job. This just becomes a way of life. You no longer have a relationship with the Father, but we are checking the right boxes because we have built a community that is safe for us. And here we begin to take on the spirit of the older brother to where the relationship has been damaged, but yet he is still looking to do the right thing, still working, still listening and obeying. Rules without relationship will always turn into rebellion. So make sure that you have a love for people. We have done a great job at First Church of creating places for us to serve. Pastor John and the team that they have built, it's an incredible team, and you'll find out something. There's a culture of First Church. The culture of First Church that Pastor Hoffman has set is one that we believe in serving the city, serving our family, and uh, we are a forgiving and loving church. But it will not take long for you to realize that if you are only serving for a name or for position, you will find yourself uncomfortable. Because we at First Church, we love people. We love our city. We believe in loving first before ever thinking about what it will do for us. It is not positional. It is not territorial. But that we genuinely love people. But somewhere the older brother had lost a relationship with his dad, even in the home. I'm reminded of the story with the lady in two mites, right? She had lost one of her pennies in the home. And she had turned the whole house upside down looking for a coin that she lost in the house. It is very easy, and I won't spend time there, that you can get lost in the house of God. That you can lose your way in a pew. But here you can see the outline of the story as it starts to unveil. And we notice that the eldest son comes home and he receives some news. He's upset. He said, what is this that I'm hearing? And one of the servants said, oh, your your brother's come home. There's a party here. And uh, he became frustrated that his brother, who had squandered a third of everything, is now home. And they are having a party and he's upset. And out of his frustration, his anger, he alienates himself from the feast. I'm not going to be a part of that. I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm, I, it makes no sense. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with my brother and my dad. This is, this is just nonsense to me. So I, I don't want to be a part of this feast. And he alienates himself. And then the dad hears what's going on. He's like, well, why isn't my oldest in the room? So he went out there and he asks his brother, why aren't you in the feast? And his oldest son begins to justify why he has alienated himself. And then his dad corrects him and says, son, All that I have is yours. Why won't you come into the feast? Scripture doesn't tell us what the next step for that oldest boy was. It doesn't tell us. But I think Jesus is trying to teach us something here. Jesus is trying to say that, listen, life will give you and throw you a curveball. Not everything that happens is planned. I'm sure if we were to look at who we were when we were 14 and 15, I'm sure we had aspirations and goals and dreams. And here we find ourselves maybe in a completely different position than you thought was possible. And so life will throw a curveball at you, and now you begin to base your decisions off of emotions that were triggered. 
And so like the oldest son was upset and he was angry at his father, what did he do? His decision was like, well, I don't want nothing to do with him. I'm just going to stay outside of the feast. And there'll be things that you decide because out of your frustration that you don't want anything to do with it anymore. And you will begin to alienate yourself from the feast. And like any good Christian, Jesus will come to you if you begin to operate a place that you don't belong operating in. When you begin to operate out of anger and bitterness and hurt and you're now building or making these choices off these triggered emotions, Jesus will come to you and say, hey, you're a child of the king. You have no rights to be behaving this way. You have no right using those words. Your attitude is not correct. Your spirit is wrong. You need to pray. And then what happens is typically we justify like the son does, right? Well, Lord, you know what? It's really not my fault. You know, this is kind of their fault. They put me in this position. I remember when I was uh, younger, many of you who know me, I am a very transparent person. Um, I believe that the grace of God and what he's done for me has carried me. So I am not embarrassed of anything in my past. And so I'm transparent. And, and uh, when my wife and I, we were younger, we had purchased a home uh, just outside of Salt Lake City in Utah. And we had a kind of a, a third car. It wasn't a garage, but it was a driveway. It was gravel. And I was working on a truck. And I am not mechanically inclined at all. I, it's not worth for me to change my oil for $20. Not doing it. And so I remember working on my truck, and I am, I mean, I'm trying to get, I don't remember what I was, it, it might have been the alternator, I don't remember, but I'm trying, I'm using my wrench, and all I'm doing is I'm stripping the bolt. Anybody feel my pain? Anybody try to work on a car? No, mm -mm, not me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to save a couple of dollars. I'm going to YouTube it, I'm going to do it myself. And so you start to do it, and then all of a sudden it's not working now. And like me, what you do is, in the name of Jesus, loose this bolt. And we begin to pry on that bolt, and we have great faith, and it strips again. And then I remember, now listen, I, I, have, I can get hot under the collar. Now I'm older, I'm a little more mellow, I'm more reserved. But when I was younger, I, that blood pressure would rise really quick. And I remember as that blood pressure started really rising, I said, Jesus, you better, you better make this bolt come off. Now, I'm, now, and I promise you, this is how I am literally praying in the driver. Lord, you better make this dude come off. I'm telling you right now. And it, it hit my knuckles. Now I'm, I'm like really ticked. And at this point, I said, Lord, if this bolt don't come off, then I'm going to flip out. And whatever happens is your fault. Oh, yeah. That's the truth. Me and Jesus is having a moment. I'm going to flip out. And sure enough, the Lord loosed it. No, he didn't loose it. Sure enough, that stupid wrench came off the ball. I smacked my knuckles. And I know all of you in here are really great Christians. So I'll speak to maybe an online audience that maybe don't know. But you ever see like a YouTube video when it's like, and he's like, beep, 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 beep. Man, that's what it probably sounds. I'm sure my wife was like, what is this? Like shutting the curtains, locking the door. I'm flipping out in the driveway. And I said, it's your fault. If you would have just let that bolt come out, I wouldn't be flipping mad right now. I justified my actions that were wrong because of how I was trying to get him to do what I wanted. I was triggered by an emotion that caused me to behave irresponsibly. And here the Lord said, that's not my fault, dummy. Don't work on something you don't have any skill at. Go pay somebody. And so by the grace of God, I now pay people. I will not work on a vehicle for the salvation of my soul. Not doing it. And so here the Lord is saying, you don't have to respond this way, and he corrects us. Now, notice in Scripture, he doesn't tell us what the result was of the conversation between the oldest brother and the father. I don't think it's not because it's important. 
I think the result of what happened is important. But I think what's almost more important than the result is understanding how to get to the result. How do we get there? How does, how does, how does the calculation add up? If I was to tell you 10 times 10 is 100, you'd be like, I know that. And to a student, to a kindergarten, you'd be like, you're 10 times 10 is 100. Okay, got it. And then I would say, hey, what's 10 times 10? It's 100. What's 90 times 90? Uh-huh. Because I told them what the result was, right? I told them what the numbers were and what the result. But if you can't do the math, you can't get to the result. If you can't string together those outcome, the, the contributing elements to an equation, if you can't string that together and know the process, you'll never be able to find out how to get to that result. And so what do we do? Well, 10 times 10. Okay, so I'm going to put 10 here, put the 10 below it. Zero times zero, zero, zero times one, zero, drop to zero. One times zero, zero, one times one, okay, that's one. Zero plus zero, zero, zero. there's 100. Oh, I figured it out. Now I know how to do math. Great. So guess what? When you tell me eight times eight, I know how to get to the pro, I know how to flow through the process in order to get to the answer. So in other words, you have to be able to string together the right process in order for you to be able to get the correct results. There is power in process. I want you to know there is a power that comes with understanding the process of getting the correct results. It's not just about the result, it's about the process. And here Jesus is saying, listen, You have alienated yourself from the feast because you operated out of a trigger point, out of an emotion. But we will justify our actions by responding to the emotions that were triggered. But watch Luke 6, 45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is in our heart? What's in your heart? We learned last week that the real you is your soul. When nobody else is looking, how do you behave? What are the things you're saying? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Who are you surrounded by? That's your soul. That's the real you. And we can try to blame everything. We do it all the time. We'll blame God. That bolt didn't come off. That's his fault. I prayed. He didn't want to answer my prayer. His problem. We'll blame somebody else. We'll blame everything else on things that we have prevented in our own lives. You will blame everybody else, and, you, and you'll, you'll, you'll put the blame on everything else on things that you have literally kept from yourself. And here you find in Psalms 118.24, it talks that this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Either you can play the victim mentality, or you can say, I will rejoice. It is a choice that you can make. You have the decision to make those choices. I will. When you get up in the morning, are you turning on CNN or is it Fox? Or are you calling a neighbor? Are you calling a family member? Who is the first person that you're in contact with? Is it someone that says, hey, I will rejoice? Or are you already starting off the day with pressure and negative elements to your day? Or are we willing our way? You can make the decision every morning. I will rejoice. I will worship. I will love regardless. I will forgive those that use me. I choose, I choose to will things into my life. Thursday morning, we were in prayer here at 11 o'clock. Some of the staff were able to meet together and we pray. And, uh, it's just great to see Tina and Glenn sitting right up here and, and just back in the house. Mind you, I came into Thursday prayer, and as I watched Tina sitting there, she had her jacket over her. She was cold. She looked frail. She was weak. Here is this woman that has battled a virus for weeks, 
And then from there, she had these nosebleeds that would not stop. And someone that went from hospital to hospital, doctor's appointments, and then ultimately ended up in a hospital for four days away from home. As she sat there with every excuse and every reason to be there and feel just defeated and tired, Lord, feed me, I began to pace as I normally do. Now, listen, my son just had a little uh, five-minute lesson that he taught at the youth gathering on Friday night. And he taught about the importance. I was really impressed. He taught about the importance of the physical health, building strength and paying attention to your health, as well as your spiritual man, growing your spiritual man, working out the spiritual man. And so I was attacking uh, two stones with one. What I decided to do is I was going to pace so I can burn my calories and I was going to get in tune with the spirit through prayer. Nobody else feel me on that. Okay, I'm not the wall marker, but hey, I, I, will, I will walk the pews and keep praying. So here I am walking and walking and praying. And then all of a sudden, I begin to hear Tina start to speak in tongues. All of a sudden, I lifted up my head and now Tina's praying over people. Do you understand somebody that should have been at home, that was frustrated, that was tired, that felt defeated, that was just burnt out, is willing her way into worship and praying over others? Who are we to have an excuse when you realize the very oxygen in your lungs the very breath that you breathe, you can will your way into anything. Jesus. Nope. Stop giving power to those who have no authority in your life. The eldest son sat outside of a feast because of his brother. Sat outside... His brother had no authority on him, but because he was so concerned with what he was doing, he alienated himself. And so when his dad came out, his dad said, man, what's wrong with you? He said, well, you know what? And here his dad just thought he was going to tell him about his, his young, well, you know, he squandered everything. All right, maybe I shouldn't have given him the inheritance. Maybe he was walking through that. He was not prepared to hear that, dad, you're the problem. Just like your youngest son, you're the problem. All I did was work for you. I, all I did was just, I obeyed your commandments. I did everything for you. And you didn't even give me a goat. And I sat there and I started thinking, my God. He was so upset that he didn't have a goat. The frustration of his brother having the calf was almost secondary. He limited what he thought he could have because of what somebody else had. And often in life, we look at the goat and we become like we can just settle in. Like it's just good enough for us to have a goat. But yet, we're so frustrated when somebody else gets something more than, we, than what we feel they should have. And yet, we're so frustrated because all we wanted was a goat. At what point, church, are we not satisfied with where we are? At what point are we not going to say, hey, I am tired of just living for a goat. Just looking at the, what I think is achievable for me. But instead, God, I want to be able to have this calf. But no, we set the bar for ourselves lower and we get frustrated with the outcome of somebody else because that's what we feel we deserve. We feel what we deserve. But I refuse to have a siege mentality. I refuse to say, you know what? I'm glad we kind of went to two services. Things are growing. People are coming. That's great. Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I, I hear the revival in Ethiopia is amazing. What's going on in South Africa is awesome. Here, here Dwayne is going on another missionary's trip real soon. I'm glad that we have a little stake of what's going on out there. And hey, you know what? Just a couple of years ago, we launched a church in Royal Oak, and there's a thriving church there. That's kind of cool. They're reaching people. At what point am I not going to be happy with this go and look to the hill where my help comes from? At what point am I not going to be so satisfied with what we see here? 
I think we, it was Sister um, Hoffman, Esther Hoffman, that had a dream one day that there were people lined up outside of these doors and wrapped around the church and down the block. I begin to think about that. And, and I'm in this life group called Love Over Racism, and Brittany's doing an excellent job of teaching us the history of the church and how we were united at one point, and we're going through history, and she begins to talk about the Azusa Street experience and how people from all over the nation came to that city, to that street, and all over the world came there. And I'm thinking, God, why can't we have a, a DeQuinder Road revival? Why do I just set my eyes on maybe planting a church in another three years, maybe just sending a missionary somewhere else. But instead, why can't we have a DeQuinder Road revival where God can take up his garments and come here and we can see an influx of the spirit? I'm not talking about being happy with just the goat, but that I'm looking for the calf. I'm, I'm setting my, my expectations higher. Is your expectation for a Monday night prayer maybe to just come in and, and just maybe pray for a few minutes? Or do you really expect God's going to move some things in your life? Maybe there's some things that need to be shaken that you can experience in a Monday night prayer. What is your expectation? But We settle for the goat. You look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 14. And here is this man who owns a vineyard. And he needs help. And so he hires help. They agree on a pay. And now the third hour comes. Work's getting backed up. The sixth hour comes. Still getting backed up. Ninth and the eleventh hour. What does he do? He goes to Home Depot. He goes to the local, uh, just anywhere that he can find some help, temp agencies. He just brings everybody on. And he gets help. And then watch what happens in verse 13 at the end of the day. When he went to pay them, the laborers from the first hour were upset that they were paid the same as those hired during the eleventh hour. But he answered one of them and said, friend... I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way, and I will give until this last, even unto thee. The kingdom of God is not about what we deserve or who deserves what. Listen, it's not fair that they came in at the last hour and worked. But you know what? The kingdom of God is that we reach all people, whether they've been here for 20 years or they've been here for two days. It is not me to decide who belongs in the kingdom. It's not for me to get upset and frustrated because some Johnny come lately comes in and then we get frustrated at what they're doing in the kingdom and like, God, I've been here 14 years. Why am I not being used? Why aren't you hearing my cry? It's not my job. It's not our job to compel. It's our job to compel, not label. It's like, I'm going to do this. So here we have in the front row. I already picked on him earlier, so I'm just going to do it again so I don't offend anybody else. So most of you would probably never know this. But I would say, now there's a discrepancy between me and the worship pastor. I say in our, the movement that I am affiliated with, the organization, uh, and that our ministers are affiliated with, um, this man right here is rated top five in the whole organization when it comes to his drumming abilities. Top, that's thousands of drummers out there. This dude's top five. He would never tell you that, but he's top five. Now, worship pastor says top two, so we, we can, I'll, we'll go 3.5, right? So here is this man that came here years ago and, and worked with us, helped us get some things straightened out, and then he went back home to work at home. And then he came back. Now, mind you, top five drummer. Now, I'm going to go and declare right now that I am the greatest drummer first church with no, no other drummers here. I am. I'm the greatest you guys got. Got it? But now this man is top five. Really great. 
You don't even get to, I mean, he's just leading. He does, I mean, he's so talented. Well, we're not going to go on to Aaron. This isn't, this isn't lessons from Aaron. It's lessons from the prodigal. Okay, focus. So now, here we go. He comes back. Now he's on the schedule. Now, mind you, I was like on the depth chart number five. I think we had like, we had four drummers. I'm five. True story. Literally. I remember one time everybody was gone and they're like, hey, bro, it's, it's you. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I got up there and, and I played the best I could. But it's like, hey, you know what? I was ready when it was my time. I wasn't frustrated when it was my time. Oh, my God. Listen, you can be ready when it's your time, when God's ready to use you. Don't get frustrated if it's not your moment just yet. You keep practicing. You be ready. You do everything you can. And so here I am. I'm practicing. I'm still terrible, but I'm still number five. All four drummers gone. So our music director at that time is like, bro, you got to get back there. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I went there. So here, our number five drummer is on the depth chart. He's number, he's number one, two, whatever he wants, right? We got some incredible. David Martinez killed it this morning. We have a great, great, great team. I'm grateful for the team we have. But here comes Aaron Davey with all of his audacity to be that great. He's at First Church. So now that means I'm number six. It might even be better to be seven, like, eh, we'll try it without you. If it's that bad, then we'll bring you on. It could be that bad, but whatever. So here comes Aaron Davey, Mr. Sticks. He's just killing it. And then you know what else he does? He cherry picks the only redhead we have in the church. Let me back there. So now all the other single dudes are ticked. Like, you took the one redhead we had and you married her. All right, we'll give him that. And it probably would have been better if they would have just gave birth to an ugly baby. But they don't even do that. A beautiful child. Yeah, that's right. Some of us, we need to know where our children are in the hierarchy of the world. Like, man, I love my boys. I got great looking dudes. But that's a great looking baby back there. But hey, am I going to get frustrated because, you know what, there's someone that's better seated than that God has ordained for position, and so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait, and I'm not going to come into the feast because now I am operating out of an emotion that was triggered out of anger and jealousy. I'm frustrated because it should have been my time. I've been here 14 years, and you know what? That's not the seat that God gave me. But instead of looking at the goat and I just want to be a drummer, maybe God looked and said, hey, look to the calf. Let me see where else I can use you and plug you in. It's not about a position in the kingdom. It's about understanding. Like, listen, we're trying to reach a world, and so I'm not satisfied with just the mediocre. I want the best people in the best place to minister the best we can. Hallelujah. Don't let your frustration keep you out of what God has for you. Remember Moses, Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. You'll read that the children of Israel are on their journey. They land at Rephidim, and they're there, and there's no water. So they're upset, rightfully so, rightfully so, no water. So they say, Moses, you, you got to get us some water. We're going to die here. What does Moses do? No problem. Go to the boss. So he makes his way to God and says, Lord, we need some water. And God says, no problem. Here's a rock. Strike the rock. Water will come out. Perfect. Travel a little bit more. Get to Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Again, the children of Israel are on their journey. They get to a place called Kadesh. No water. Now they're even more mad. Now, folks, help, help me out. Do you think maybe after going through an experience that seemed like something you've already overcame, already went through it. You would think you would just say, hey, Moses, can you go talk to God, hit the rock, and we can get some water? 
No. Scripture tells us that they were frustrated. They begin to complain and they begin to murmur and they begin to drag the man of God down. And so now Moses is already upset. These people are complaining. They're like, listen, you know what? If our little chihuahua, if little Roxy dies, we're coming after you. If, if something happens to our pets or our kids, we're coming after you. And so what happens? Here Moses goes to God and he says, listen, the people are going to kill me. They're going to come after me. I need you to do something. And then this is what God tells me. He says, fine. You take them to the rock, speak to the rock, and water will come out. As Moses is making his way back to the people, they're in his ear. Moses, did you hear from God? Can you walk in? I need you to feel urgent about this, Moses. Can you walk a little faster? Maybe take a jog? Can you send one of the kids to go tap the rock? Like, do something. And he's getting frustrated. He's getting more upset. He finally gets to the rock. And out of his frustration with everybody's ear, he then, instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock. And water flowed out. But watch this. Moses was not able to enter into the promised land because he operated in frustration. Even though God still provided and there was still a miracle, he was kept away from the promise because he operated out of frustration. Where or what are you operating in that is keeping you from a promise that God has for you? What is he in your life that you hold on to so dear because of something that's happened that you have literally stopped a miracle from happening in your life? But watch this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of the fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and drink all the, drink, uh, the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Do you understand that there are things that we keep beating the air about that we should be speaking to? Do you understand that if Jesus is the rock of that Old Testament, he is the rock of today right now? Now we spend more time fighting and disobeying and frustrated when we should just be speaking to the rock. We should speak, but instead what do we do? We fight, right? We strike the rock. Listen, Scripture says, for as much as you have done to the least of these, you have done them unto me. So when you do it to your brother, your sister, your coworker, you're doing it to him. So how do we strike the rock? We raise our voices. We live in frustration. We talk negative. We destroy. We say these things to each other that are ultimately hitting this rock instead of speaking to Jesus. And who gets hurt in the process? We do. I'm not going into the feast. Aaron's in the drum pit. David's in the trumpet. You know what? I'm going to go sit in the front seat. I'll show them. Yeah, when you need the sixth drummer and he's not around, gotcha. Right? I'm going to hide my talent because I don't think it's where it needs to be. I'm going to hide my calling just because someone else might be a little more gifted than me. Listen, there ought to be a resolve inside of it that says, listen, my, who I am and how I view myself isn't based on what you think of me. Do you understand in the story when the son went, was outside of the feast and the dad came out? Who didn't come out? The son. The youngest son, right? The brother didn't come out. And here, the one that is keeping himself outside of the feast is so worried about what his brother is thinking and what his brother has done. And guess what? His brother's not even thinking about him. He's in the party. He's having lamb. Safi had us over. His parents, they had us over their house. I'm talking about it was like a Viking dinner. Like legitimate, huh? We had lamb. We had, I mean, there was, there was even some vegetables. Like, you're going to have some of those greens. I said, no, there's lamb. Why would I have vegetables? Like, why would I have a salad? There's like a whole lamb on this table and there's more meat. I'm like, I'm not having that. I mean, we're eating like kings. And yet here, 
the, the oldest son is like, I'm not going in there because of my brother and my daddy. I'm going to sit out here and I'm going to sulk and I'm going to be upset and I'm going to be frustrated. And I'm going to miss on what God has promised me because I'm too worried about what somebody else did. God deliver the church from worrying about everything else instead of what he called us from. This is not the time, the season, the climate, the culture for the church to back down and feel like we're nobodies. We're just some backward Pentecostals, some apostolics in some church some far away. No, you are a child of the king. You are the answer to this world. The world is looking for you to rise up and stand up and speak up now and to be able to speak to the rock and not smite each other and fight each other. Frustration is the result of what happens when your outcome doesn't marry up to the expectation. I really thought it was supposed to go this way. That didn't happen. And so what happens? Whatever comes into your life and you take it in and you get frustrated. What comes out doesn't have to be frustration validated. You can come out and you can, you can show this world, you can show your family, you can show your wife, your husband, your children, that it might have been a frustrating process, but you will not behave that way. You will behave as a child of the king, a child of God. You can will your way into that. You do not have to be bound to your past. You don't have to be defined by somebody else, but you have to realize that you are a child of this king and that you're only alienating yourself because he's saying, come all who are weary. Come unto me. I will give you whatever it is you need. But because we're so mad at somebody else and we're operating out of an emotion that was triggered, no. I'm going to sit on my pew. No, I'm just going to sit on the couch. No, I'm not going to put myself in for a raise at work. I'm not going to. Too often I've seen that. We get upset. It's like, I'm not going to do that then. We can figure it out. Don't be a box checker in the kingdom. Don't lose your first love. Because when you first are in love with him, it becomes about people. It's about your salvation. It's about serving others because you want to see them come in. Don't become the person that has gone so past and become so inundated by everything that's going on around you that now you have shifted from love to obligation and now you're you're more afraid of hearing the words I never knew you than well done you're more afraid of not making it to heaven than more in love with being in heaven than realizing that one day I'm going to get to sit at his feet and I'm going to be with Jesus Christ and instead we get so caught up in today's just climate that we have lost our first love would like the musicians to come up you listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Just a few weeks, Jordan and Catherine, they're going to be married. Yeah. They're an incredible couple. I've spent 12, 10 weeks with them, and um, they've learned a little something about leaving your family and cleaving to each other. It's a mystery how two can become one, how you can really prefer your wife or your husband over your own desires, over this, you know, their safety is more important than the luxuries that you would like, the, the different things that you try to protect in your marriage, in the relationship. And here, Paul is telling us, it's a great mystery, but I'm not just talking about marriage, the natural marriage. He is likening it to a spiritual marriage. What happens with the church and Christ and here, this is what I love with John 3, verse 23. John is actually talking about Jesus, if you read the whole chapter. And what's great is he, he tells the crowd, he says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. And so when you liken Jesus as the bridegroom and the church 
as the bride, you understand that one day he's going to call us into heaven. I think so often in, the, in church context, we get so wrapped up and worked up with trying to fix problems, trying to enable, trying to heal, trying to restore, that sometimes we just forget what the big picture is. The big picture is there is coming a time when God is going to, with the trumpet sounds, call up the church, call up his children, and we will forever be with him in the air. We will be in all of eternity with the almighty God. When it talks about weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, you have to understand that there is coming a day where he will rapture the church and call us to be with him and we will be married to him forever but watch revelations 19 7 through 9 and here john is on an island and he's writing prophetically the angel is telling him what to pen this is what he says let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. The church is ready. You're ready. You've prepared yourself. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto them, write this, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is going to be a feast one day. There is going to be a big supper. We're going to have some lamb. We're going to have some shrimp Mozambique. There's going to be some sweet bread. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that I love. And guess what? We're going to make it to heaven. And there's going to be this feast out there. And you have a choice right now. Am I going to allow myself to come into the feast? Or am I going to sit outside of that feast? Do I become the older brother that was bitter and upset and angry or am I going to be like the younger brother where I said hey I might have messed it all up I might have squandered some things I might have made some mistakes but I am coming into a feast I don't deserve it but I will partake of it or am I going to be like the old brother that says hey I'm not coming into that feast because of so and so nobody is worth going to hell over nobody nobody no situation no position nothing is worth missing out on the feast at the end of time because of a trigger point in your life, because of some anger, because of a failure, because of maybe what else somebody else spoke into your life. And you haven't been over declaring that. You don't know how to say, they have no clue what they're talking about. There's something else going on in their life. This isn't about me anymore, this is them. And to learn to separate that and not to let yourself be defined by that to where you would alienate yourself, seclude yourself, from the church, from the bride of Christ. I want us to stand. It's a heart issue, folks. You're dealing with the heart problem. The only thing that stopped, see, you look at the older brother. You know what stopped him from coming in? We said it at the very beginning of this passage. Here, the youngest brother asks for his inheritance early. I've said it before. When he did that, he said, you know, it's, it's not the extras. You literally divide up everything, and he gets it. So when the brother is upset, said, you know why I'm not going in there? You gave him the calf. Where do you think the calf came from? If everything's already divided, that calf is the older brother. So you know what happens? Everything was fine and dandy until the older brother found out he's in my stuff. He's upset because he's in my stuff. That should have been my calf. I didn't get the goat, but he got my calf. And how many times do we do that? Whether it's at work or it's even in the church. Like you can do everything you want to, but Aaron, you come back into my life and you want to be the drummer, I'm taking my stuff and I'm going home. 
we mad because somebody's messing with our stuff now when it ain't even ours to begin with. When you look at grace and mercy, do you understand? Listen to me. Do you understand? We are so grateful for grace. Am I right? We're grateful for the grace of God, but for the grace of God go I, but for the grace of God go I, that's fine. But you ought to be thankful for mercy because if it wasn't for mercy, there's no need for grace. If God would have gave me what I deserved, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't need his grace because I would have been lost. But because when you have mercy in your life, now you can operate in grace in your life. Be thankful for mercy. But instead, we'll become so frustrated, upset. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, of mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. It ain't fair. It's not fair that he would die on a cross for my mistakes. It wasn't fair. But who am I to condemn somebody else? Because it wasn't fair for me. It's not fair for them either. But I refuse to be so worried about a calf. My dad caught up with me before the 1130 service. And he said, I want to give you a translation of the Portuguese Bible. There's a word in there. And he said, in the Portuguese Bible, it doesn't even say goat. It says a baby goat. A baby goat. We're so worried what's going on around us and we settle what we want on a baby goat. We're okay with just what's barely within reach instead of stretching ourselves in the kingdom, stretching ourselves on who we can reach, stretching ourselves to fulfill the calling that he has placed on our life. And so if you're here and you do not want to miss this marriage supper of the lamb, this feast, that the oldest brother missed out on. And you're here and you're saying, man, I'm tired of the frustration. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of, of living through everybody else's eyes. I'm tired of letting social media dictate who I am. I'm tired of my past mistakes coming up over and over again. I'm just tired of it all. How can I get the help? Maybe you've been here for so long that you forgot your first love and we're sitting here and we're thinking, God, I become so desensitized to what this is really about. A broken world and I'm so worried about me and mine and what I got that I forgot it was your mercy that even put me in a place to be used by you such were some of you in Acts chapter 2 37 Peter is talking to them and mind you Peter had been with Jesus and the question is asked how can I be saved and Peter in verse 38 says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. It's that easy to repent. It's that easy to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's that easy for you to receive a gift that he wants you to have. Nothing that I deserve, it's nothing I can do for you, but it's something that he can give you. It's his gift towards you. And so when I look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, by one spirit are we baptized into one body, one spirit. And that's why I love Acts 1, verse 8 but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
You want to find a way to defeat the enemy and those triggers in your life? Stay full of his spirit. Are you tired of just wandering around like, like they did in the, with the Israelites around and around? And then get full of his spirit. If this is brand new to you, you don't have to do this alone anymore. There is a God that wants you in this marriage supper, this feast, that when he calls his children, he wants you in heaven with him. That none should perish, but have everlasting life. So this is what I want us to do. I want us all keep your masks on if you have them. If we can, spread out as much as we can up here. Because what I want to do is I want us to pray a prayer of repentance together. And I want us to know that we've got a couple of team members here, prayer team members that'll have Pastor John, if you can go in the middle. We have Talisha right to my left, and then our student pastor, Kento, be to my right. And if you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you could do that today. Because if the Lord calls his people back, you can go today. You don't have to be like the oldest son and just hang back because of all of the things on the peripheral, on the side, but that you can make a difference and you can make the change. You can will yourself into heaven by just, re just obeying what scripture is telling us to do. And so we're gonna pray together. And then when I'm done praying a prayer of repentance, I want us to thank him for hearing us and for forgiving us and loving us and you no longer taking ownership of the things in your past. And if this is the moment where you want to be baptized and we can set that up for you, if you've never spoken tongues and you would like the Holy Ghost, then you can come and meet with our team up here and they can help pray with you. I, I, I can't promise you and I can't give it to you. It's his gift to you. Lord, we come before you, a broken people. I have made so many mistakes in my past and I know, Lord, there'll be more mistakes that I'll make in tomorrow. But God, I know that you are not this author of confusion. It's not for me to wander like the Israelites for years, trying to find my place, trying to find a place where I keep repeating habits. Maybe I learned what the result is, but I never learned what the process was to get a better result. And so, Lord, I come before you and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash me with a blood that you lost at Calvary when you died, that precious rare blood was to cover all sins and to cover our spiritual man and our physical man. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would forgive every idle thought, everything that I've looked at that I had no business watching, everything that I've put into my spirit, things that I've heard, I, I shouldn't have been hearing them, actions that have been done because I was so frustrated and I acted out of, a, of more of an impulse decision. Didn't pray about it, didn't think about it, didn't talk about it, I just acted on it. I'm sorry, Lord, for hurting you, for hurting your kingdom for hurting those around me maybe speaking against someone bringing an attitude into work bringing one into the house of God whatever it is Lord Lord I want you to cleanse us and wash us with your power wash us with your blood forgive us God I am so thankful that you are ready to forgive us if we would just confess with our mouth and so God here we sit confessing to you that we are just we're we're we're, we're nobody God we're nothing but it was your mercy that set me up for grace. And I'm so thankful, God, that you've set me up, that my, that my failures will set me for success, God. And so, Lord, we receive your forgiveness right now, God. And we are so thankful that you are forgiving us. You're washing us right now, God, that all my old man is past. I will not be bound by the things in my past. I will no longer be held by those that have spoken into my life and held me to a circumstance, held me to my failures, Lord. But, God, I am looking to you, the author and finisher, God, that you would bring me into existence, that God, you want me in heaven in the feast with you, Lord, as we celebrate and break bread. And so all across this room, why don't we thank him right now for his washing power, 
his forgiveness. Yes, hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful, God, that you will you continue to pull and continue to reach for me, God. And so, Lord, as we sing together, God, if there are things that we have been checked off while we were listening to your word, God, we'll turn those to you, that we begin to figure out the power that's in this process, Lord. And so, Lord, we lift our voice and sing. And, Lord, I'm expecting that you're going to be able to maneuver through this crowd, that you're going to be able to maneuver through this atmosphere. God, that we would take the next step with you, take the next step in walking with you, take the next step in repairing relationships, repairing ours with you, God, to understand I want my first love back. I need it back, God. I don't want to be satisfied with a goat, but, God, that I can look up to the hill, that I can set my eyes on higher things, that I can break the, the mold that was set for me, that generational curses can